Well, it is good to see your faces this morning. I hope we never take for granted the joy it is of seeing one another every Sunday to hear the word being preached, singing spiritual songs and hymns and songs to one another. We are blessed, brothers and sisters. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Colossians chapter 1 as we behold God's living word. We're going to be in verses 9 through 14 as we journey forward in the book of Colossians. What do you pray for? It's a question that I have for you today. What do you pray for? The answer to that question will often reveal what is meaningful to you, what is important to you, what you care about. Hopefully, the longer you've walked with Christ, the more theologically sound and proper your prayers have become as we learn to grow in prayers of thanksgiving, as we learn to grow in confessions of our sin, as, as we learn to grow in our supplications before the Father. I remember when I was seven years old, my dad took me to a Ranger game at the old Arlington Stadium, which was, I guess, two stadiums ago now. And they used to give away free souvenirs uh, to like the first 10,000 people that would enter the stadium. And I remember I received a glove, like a batting glove that said Texas Rangers upon it, uh, but my fingers only got about to the, to the knuckle of that glove. And I remember going home that night praying that God would allow my hand to grow into that glove by morning. You guys, there's all sorts of issues with this prayer. I don't have time to unpack that right now. But the bottom line is, often what we ask the Lord for is what is important to us in time. Now, if we remember what Paul is praying for the Colossians, last week he gave a prayer of thanksgiving, the first part of this prayer he's praying for them. And he was thanking God for the work that God was doing in them, this faith, love, and hope that was growing within them. As we get into our passage this week, his prayer continues. Now, he's thankful for the work that God has started in the Colossians, but he is not satisfied with where the Colossians are. And so he's praying that God would continue to do work in them. So he's thankful that God has begun this work in Paul's Prayer here in verses 9 through 14 is that this work would continue. Now this shows first and foremost the heart of Paul. Paul was a pastor. He cared for his congregation. He wanted his congregation to continue to grow in the things of God. Bearing fruit and knowing who God is. He didn't, he wasn't satisfied with where they are. And no pastor should be satisfied with one where he is nor where the congregation is. It is the work of the shepherd to ensure that the congregation is growing in the health and understanding of who God is. And so my question, the second question to what do you pray for is this. Are we praying the way that Paul is praying? Are we praying the way that Paul is praying? We are meant to grow into the unity of faith. That's what it says in Ephesians 4. We are meant to grow in the knowledge of the Son of God. We are meant to grow into mature manhood. 
And no one in this room, starting right here in the pulpit, has reached that yet. And so we have work to do, church family. We ought never to be satisfied with where we are. And so let me read the passage for us today, and then we'll jump right in. Verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be, uh, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light and who has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thus says the word of the Lord. There's three things that I want us to observe today in the text. Three points of application, if you will. You can break this text down in several different ways, but I want to break it down for us in bite-sized portions, and I hope it's helpful as we want to hear God's word and understand God's word so that we can digest God's word. First, I want us to see and consider Paul's prayer. What is it that Paul is praying for? And how can this prayer serve as a model for all of us? It's a good question to ask. Are we praying for these things? And if we aren't, let's begin praying for these things. Secondly, we're going to look at why Paul is praying for this. He wants the congregation to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, that has saved them. And, and by doing this, he wants them to increase in the knowledge of God. So there's a reason, a purpose to this so that they would walk in a manner that is worthy and pleasing to God. And then lastly, we're going to acknowledge and remember with thanksgiving the great work that the Father has accomplished on our behalf. So we are going to observe what it is that we'll be praying for, which is to grow in the knowledge of God's will. Why does he want us to grow in the knowledge of God's will? So that we would walk in a manner that is pleasing to him. And then we do that by remembering what it is that the Father has done for us. That's a little roadmap for where we're going this morning. The first point is this. The thing that I want us to recognize first is this. We want to pray to know God's will. Church family, we want to pray to know God's will. Now before we get into unpacking what God's will is, let us first recognize what Paul is doing. Verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. He's pointing back to that previous passage based on the work that God has done, this faith, love, and hope that's at work in the congregation through the Spirit. He is now wanting them to continue to progress in the faith. There is no scripture that I can find, and I don't think you can find either, that suggests from an apostle or a pastor that anybody has arrived at the faith, the full understanding of the knowledge of God. There is no graduation. I know we're celebrating graduations today. There's no graduation in our knowledge of God until the, until the sun comes back and glorifies us. Paul and Timothy were encouraged by what God has done, but he and they are praying that God's work would continue. Now remember, Paul himself says to the Philippians 
Not that I have already obtained it, this righteousness, this perfection. Remember, he's reminding them, I'm not there yet, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The reality is, each of us are still progressing. Now, God is crafting you into uh, uh, his, the image of his own son. He is at work like a, craft, uh, like a craftsman. Uh, he has made us to do good works. Imagine if you're building a canoe and you lay the first few slats of wood forward to make the canoe, but you stop. You can know what it's supposed to be, but it's only helpful when the project is being worked on and completed so that the project can sail across the waters. Well, he who begins a good work in us is faithful to complete it. I remember, uh, well, I shouldn't not remember. This was only a month ago. Um, <laughs> but the congregation I just left, there was an older saint there. And by the way, there's older saints here that I can use in examples, but I'm not going to embarrass you just yet. I'm going to allow my pastoral tenure to, to be here a little bit longer than that. <laughs> but there is an older saint in the congregation that I just left, and he is a really faithful brother. He's in his mid-90s. He is uh, a church planter in his past. He has been an elder. He's been a deacon. He has gone through suffering. He has taught God's word. He has raised his children and his grandchildren and his children's children. This is an older saint. And for the last two years, he used to come to my Bible study every single week to sit and listen to God's word. I asked him before I moved, I said, why do you do this, brother? And he said, because I have not gotten to the, even the, the basis of the knowledge of God, the one who has saved me. Oh, what a humility this brother is exhibiting. All of us are a work in progress, and I want us to remember that. Now, when we pray, we often pray for one another. We often pray when emergencies rise up and certain supplications are mentioned, and I think we're faithful to pray for these things. I was sitting in several classrooms this morning. We were praying for the saints, the needs that arise, and we ought to continue to do that. For it says in Philippians 4, 6, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make our requests be known to God. We ought always to pray for one another. I'm asking you this morning, are you praying the way that Paul is praying for one another? That we would increase in the knowledge of his will. That prayer is a little more sparse, I would, I'd venture to say, amongst the saints. We don't often think about what it is to pray for our brothers and sisters in the faith to continue to know the knowledge of the will of God. I think there's application for us there today. The question is not, do you pray for one another? The question is, do you pray for one another like this? Now, what is it that Paul is praying for? He's asking the Lord to fill them with the knowledge of his will, to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. He longs for the Colossians to be fully mature in Christ. And we see this throughout several of the epistles as he's praying for the churches to know who God is and to be able to discern wisdom 
and to be able to act as a Christian inside of another kingdom. This is what Paul prays. Now, the false teachers that we've been talking about, this underlying current that's transpiring within the Colossians, they're hitting right at the fullness of Christ. They are saying that Christ has some knowledge, but not all the fullness of knowledge is found in Christ. And so one of the themes throughout the book of Colossians is, are you full of knowledge? The, 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 God is f- uh, joy-filled to... to f- <laughs> the Father is pleased to... F- the Son is... God is pleased to dwell in the Son fully. And this is what Paul is getting at. The fullness of God is pleased to dwell in the Son. So Paul is attacking this fullness. And so I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. He wants them to know who Christ is. There's no secret knowledge out there. There's no knowledge that these false teachers are saying. They're saying, hey, you know some of the things, but you don't know all the things. We're going to unpack this more as we get into Colossians 2. You might know some of God. You might know some of what God has done. But until you experience God fully, until you do these things properly, you don't know God. And Paul is saying, no. I'm praying that you would be full of knowledge. But not knowledge like they're talking about. Full of the knowledge of God's will. And in this passage, we see what that knowledge is. We see in the scriptures that God's will is revealed. He's not hiding things from us like a scavenger hunt or an Easter egg hunt, trying to get us to find out what his will and his knowledge is. He has revealed himself through the scriptures. So when we say the knowledge of God's will, we have to realize that it has been made known to us. It's like Easter eggs in the front yard, not behind any bushes, but just right there for us to know. This is the kindness of our God. Psalm 22, which has been our call to worship. This is what God says, or this is what God's word says. The psalmist says, make me to know your paths, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For I wait all the day long. This is our prayer, that we would know God's will. And to know God's will means we ought to know God. Our hearts, if we were to be honest, do not necessarily want to know God's will because intrinsically we do not want to know God. But God in his kindness has revealed himself to us to be known. And Paul's prayer is that we would continue to grow in this knowledge of who God is. Now, we see in Scripture there are specific times where we, where we see that the knowledge of God's will is made explicitly known. Right? We see all of God's will and knowledge throughout the Scriptures, but we see in specific places that it is mentioned. It is the will of God, your sanctification, 1 Thessalonians 4. It's the will of God that we would be full of the Spirit, Ephesians 5. It's the will of God that we would be subject to every human institution. And it would be, and it's God's will that we would do good. It's the will of God that we would walk according to this 
knowledge. He has made his will explicitly known to the Christian. Now, recognizing here the way that this text is written, it's not written to you, the individual, but the you here used in the text is written to the plural. It's written to the church. That we together would grow in the knowledge of the will of God. This is what he has provided us in his word. Now, in this specific context, the question is, what is God's will? How do we grow in understanding God's will? We'll recognize here in Colossians that the mystery of God's will has been revealed in Christ Jesus. That's what it says in Colossians 1.27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery which is in Christ which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the knowledge of his will. It's found right here in Christ. And so we're supposed to grow in the knowledge of who Christ is. Now, before Christ came, the knowledge of God was found in the law. We see this in Romans 2. It was found in the prophets and the kings and the judges, the covenants and the promise. But when Christ came, he fulfilled the law and in fact was the end of the law, as it says in Romans 10. So all of the promises that were made found their yes in Christ, as we see throughout the scripture. And so we are to grow exactly in this knowledge of Christ. It says in Colossians 2, 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So if we want to know God's will, we want to know God's Son. We want to see what His Son has done. We want to know the character of His Son, the glory of His Son, the victory of His Son the faithfulness of his son, the humility of his son. We study the son all the day long. We mentioned it a couple weeks ago. As we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. As we behold, as we see, as we grasp, as we walk near the glorious son. Now, that is what God's will is for us and in the next two weeks he's going to unfold how this glorious son is over the cosmos how he's the center of redemption how he's the head of the church and how he holds all things together for his own glory I can't wait to get to that part of the text now here this this word knowledge has specific meaning to it it's epigenosis as opposed to gnosis. So gnosis is general knowledge. You can have general knowledge about God. You can have general knowledge about Christ and salvation. But what Paul is saying here is epigenosis. He's saying go after more knowledge about Christ. Study him more. Move towards him. Be active in acquiring him. So this command here is quite specific. Don't be satisfied with what you know. Keep digging, keep going, keep eating, keep feasting on this Lord. If you were driving to the mountains and you were driving alongside the mountains, you know those highways that kind of take you beside the mountains, 
you can kind of look to your left, let's say, and you can see the heights of the mountains. You can see the different trees or the rock structures. Uh, you can see the formations. And it's marvelous. You can have knowledge of the mountains. But you can also take a left into the mountains. And you can go further into the mountains. And you can walk into the mountains and put your hands into the soil of the mountains. And you can swim in the rivers inside the mountains. And you can stand next to trees and see how actually tall they are. Brothers and sisters, I think sometimes we are so satisfied with what we already know that we don't take a left into the mountains. We don't go and learn God at more depths. He is there to be known, to be learned, to be studied, to be fellowshiped with. This is our great God. And may I say this, nobody in this room, starting right here in the pulpit, has even gotten to the foothills of that Everest. If you've gone to seminary and you've taken two theological seminary classes, that is not the answer of knowing God. You might have some tools of what it looks like to begin to study God. But this God of the heavens cannot fully be grasped by us. That's why Paul is saying, continue to learn this glorious God and his Christ. He's there to be known. He's revealed himself in his will. Two things I want us to be aware of. We haven't reached the knowledge of the Son of God. If Paul hasn't, we haven't. He's striving to make Christ his own, just as Christ has made him his own. The second thing I want us to guard ourselves with is, yeah, I don't really like studying and reading. I'm really not into that. I'm going to leave that up to the theologians or the pastors to do that and to tell me what I ought to believe. There is Uh, work that's done through the preaching of God's word, and we hope that you're growing in your understanding of it. But we also want to remember that God's word has been given to us through a book, through a scriptures, to be made known. That's why we have uh, certain uh, classes that we offer on who is God? Why are we studying the attributes of God? God is there to be known, the communicable attributes, the incommunicable attributes of God. We want to know who this God is in the transcendence of his glory and the personal covenant relationship of God Yahweh. This is who God is. We want to encourage you to know God and to know his will. Now, knowing his will, we often think about um, what it is that you're supposed to do next in life. I have a decision on the docket, and I have to make a decision, and what's God's will in that? Uh, Look, God's providence takes care of so much that we worry about by giving us interest in our heart and opening and closing doors. God's will is that no matter what we do, that we would be faithful, that we would learn the humility of Christ and then act in the humility of Christ in the place that we go and that we serve. A practical question that I had for you today Do you have a plan to grow in the knowledge of God this year? Are you actively engaging your mind with who God is and has revealed himself to be? If you don't even know where to start, let me just say, please come talk to any of us, pastors, Sunday school teachers. We'd love to put resources in your hands. We're going to be having a class this summer just on what it looks like to study the scriptures that we can know God. 
one helpful question that you can ask when you open the scriptures is, what does this one passage say about God? And then write down all that you see, building our understanding of who God is. Now, why is he praying for this? There's a reason, there's a purpose for his prayer. Look with me at the second point. That we would walk in a manner that pleases God. Paul is wanting the Colossians to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him. The purpose of growing in the knowledge of God's will is for the Christian to live a life that is fully pleasing to God. So not only do you want to grow in the knowledge of God's will, but it's so that we would walk in a manner that is worthy of him and for what he's done. It's impossible for us to walk in a manner worthy of God if we don't know the God that we're walking with. So we are called to walk in him. That's the, that's the imperative of this passage, to walk in a manner that's worthy of God. And then he lays out these four kind of participles. And we, and we see them right here in the text in verses 10, 11, and 12. Bearing fruit in every good work. This is what it looks like to walk in God. This is Paul's prayer for them. To increase in the knowledge of God. To be strengthened according to his glorious might. To give thanks to the Father for what he has done. To know God will impact one's life. In an age where we have never known more about the how of things or the what of things, we as Christians are to know the who of all things. That is our responsibility as brothers and sisters in the faith. So this is what Paul is praying for, to to bear fruit. What does it mean to bear fruit? It means to bear good works in Christ's name. The outward actions that we live by are stemming from the inward condition of our faith. Do we believe these things? Have we received these things by faith? Because if we have, the Spirit of God begins to bear fruit within us. And this brother begins to bear fruit, and this sister begins to bear fruit, and then we begin to feast off of each other's fruit. We see this in the church play out as the Spirit of God is working in each of us. It does not mean that we are supposed to believe a few things about God and then to handle the rest of it ourselves. Like, okay, I know Jesus has died for us. Now I got to bear fruit by doing good work so that Jesus approves me. You have already been approved in Christ if your faith is there in Christ. In fact, Paul used to believe that he had to do all these works to be approved. That's not good news. That's ba- in fact, that's bad news because nobody's able to do it. Remember, he's, he's, he's listing off in Philippians. He's like, man, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm from the people of Israel, from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Pharisee as to the law, perfect. And he's like, and then I learned that all of it was filthy rags compared to the righteousness of Christ. And so he's there, he's believing it, he's trusting in it, and the spirit of God begins to change him into the thing that he believes in begins to bear this good fruit in him. We abide in Christ and we grow. It's John 15. Look, the, vi- the vine owner, the, the vineyard owner in Luke 13 expects fruit to bear. God expects fruit to bear within us. In fact, those of us who do not bear fruit will be cast into the fire. It's a warning in Matthew chapter seven. Look, when the gospel is received by faith, 
it begins to do work inside of us, this fruit-bearing work. There is real danger in our generation about hearing the word and not doing the word. Paul says, hey, you're supposed to grow in the knowledge of God. Second thing. Now, we've already talked about he wants us to be filled with the knowledge, but that's not something that happens overnight. He's saying, hey, I want you to simply just continue to grow in the knowledge. It is a process for us throughout this entire life and throughout our entire lives. This is a life that pleases God. Look, if my son respects an adult and is courteous to them, it pleases me. If, if they're not, which sometimes they're not, I give them instruction, I regather them, I correct them, I love them, and I send them back out. But to do the will of the Father is pleasing to the Father. So he wants us to grow in the knowledge of things that are pleasing to him. Now imagine if you had um, a human body with an abnormally large head, like not a human head, but like a really big head. And that head was full of knowledge. You're just dumping in, studying, 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 knowing a lot of things, telling people what to do. Boom, boom, boom. But that human body had little baby feet. Okay? And you start walking. That huge head of knowledge isn't going to be able to be supported by those little baby feet. So it's not knowledge for knowledge's sake or knowledge that puffs up. It's knowledge in the Son of God, meaning the knowledge of what he has done. The same can be true. Let's say you have another human body, and that human body has a really tiny head like a golf ball. Again, not a human head. Impossible. But they have giant feet. And so they're doing a lot of things. They're working, they're moving, but they don't know what they're going. They don't know why they're doing it, and they don't know exactly what's next in life. What we're striving for as Christians is to have our hearts transformed. By the transformation of the heart and the study of God's word, our hearts and our heads will grow into a healthy understanding of who God is and our feet will be put to action so as to walk in a manner that's pleasing to him. This is the responsibility that we have as Christians. Having the mind of Christ from 1 Corinthians 2 helps us to walk in a manner that is pleasing to him. And brothers and sisters, how do we do this? You can't do it in your flesh. I promise you that. You, nobody in this room or in this globe is strong enough to do this. But check out what Paul says. He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. He's praying that they would not only be growing so as to walk in, growing in God's will, walking in a manner that's pleasing to him, but trusting that God is providing the might and the strength in which to do this. Oh, we can rely upon God. How often do you rely upon God for strength and might? How often, Christian, do you go to the scriptures weary, tired, yet reminded of who God is as you read a psalm or you have a lament or you remember the glorious gospel. This is the character and the nature of our God. He is willing to strengthen us, to care for us. This is why we're able to have joy in the midst of suffering and sorrow. 
Not because it's fun, but because God is there with us. And he gives us strength to remember the things that are above, the things where Christ is seated. This is good news for us. We can actually learn contentment in difficult situations. Not because we ourselves can find contentment, but because God strengthens us and his might is with us. The last thing, this, this kind of this indicator where God's work is on display, it's, it's through the joyful, thankful Christian with joy and thanksgiving, giving thanks to the Father. Look, a heart of gratitude is one of the very basic characteristics of a Christian. One of the very basic characteristics of one who has been saved. You know what you deserve and you know what you've been saved from and you know what you've been saved for. And that knowledge of his will in Christ there begins to just allow us to be thankful no matter the situation. We are to give thanks. Complaining doesn't define the the thankful Christian. In fact, it's the opposite. Where there's a spirit of complaint, there is a lack of thanksgiving. But Paul is praying for them to grow in their thanksgiving to the Father. And for serving, our responsibility is to grow into the thanksgiving thanksgiving for the Father's work that he has done, which goes as pulls us right into the third point this morning, which is remembering the work of God. As we walk, we remember what God has done. This drives our thanksgiving to remember what Christ has done, what the Father has done through Christ. Look what it says in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. Why are we giving thanks to the Father? This is so glorious. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He has qualified us. He has made us sufficient to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Look what God has done. He gave the Colossians, the Gentiles, Gentiles like us, an opportunity to receive inheritance. This idea of inheritance comes from the Old Testament. After the land of Canaan was conquered, the 12 tribes of Israel received portions of land, inheritance to dwell in with their God and with their people. And he's transferred us into that. Having no deserving Factor in that decision, but the Father has qualified us. And we have access to this inheritance from the offspring of Abraham. We're now recipients of this heirs uh, and heirs of this promise. He has qualified us. Well, what has he done? Well, he has transferred us from the domain of darkness and excuse me, delivered us from the domain of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. We were imprisoned by death and hell and under the care of a serpent. C.S. Lewis says in The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, he gives us a picture of this, it's always winter and never Christmas. Or in Texas, it's always summer and there's no AC. 
but he delivered us from this domain that we were all members and associated with. And he's transferred us into another kingdom or transported us into another kingdom, the kingdom of his beloved son. How in the world are we not just thankful? Thankful that he has qualified us, that he has delivered us, and that he has transported us into this kingdom. Guys, as far as I can tell, we just woke up one day and we're given consciousness and we live where we live, we have friends with whom we have friends with, and the, the glorious gospel just fell on us and it made known to us that we have actually been transferred, believe it or not, whether we knew it or not, from a domain of darkness and into his marvelous light. This drives our thanksgiving. This is a true exodus. It's a forever exodus. And this is what the Father has done. Seeking fellowship and relationship with us, his people. And how did he do this? Through the Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. A follow-up question to that is, well, who is the Son? Well, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation, which we'll get into next week. But this knowledge of his will allows us to be thankful. It allows us to bear fruit. It allows us to trust in him in all things, to know his will, to do his will, to walk in a manner that's pleasing to him, not so that we would be accepted by him. Christ has already been accepted but that we would honor the one who has accepted us. He's worthy of it. He alone is worthy of it. So are you growing in a knowledge of his will? Are you growing in your understanding of who God is? Are you aware that Christ has done this work? And are you stopping there and staying there and walking in that understanding more and more? Are you praying for your brothers and sisters to do that? My encouragement is that you would. That we would have a culture where we are praying. I hope we know the knowledge of his will more and more. Each and every passing day. In the next few minutes we're going to be able to respond here. As we sing and as we trust God again. And I'm going to pray for us in closing that we would have an increased knowledge of the will of God, which is found in Christ, which is there for us to know and there for us to walk in together. If you don't know this Christ who delivers you from the domain of darkness and transfers you into a kingdom of light, where there is no sin, there is no evil one who mows down our children in that kingdom. If you want to know about that Christ, we'd love to talk to you about him. Pastors will be up here in just a moment for you to do that. Brothers and sisters, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray.
that we as a congregation would be filled with the knowledge of your will. So as to walk in a manner that is pleasing to you, God. God, would you help us to grow in this? We may bear fruit. Lord, we increase in knowledge, be active in our plan. Father, to know you, resting in the strength of your glorious might. Father, giving thanks to you at all times, knowing that you're working in us. Father, remembering what it is that you have done for us. You've transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God, would we rest in this truth today? We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.